welcome everyone to the St. Supery Sips podcast. I'm Emma Swain, the CEO at St. Supery Estate Vineyards and Winery, and I am thrilled to have Jennifer Bushman with me here today to talk about sustainable seafood. I'm always learning so much from Jennifer about sustainable seafood, seaweed, and other forms of protecting and preserving our ocean and providing healthy, sustainable options on our table. So Jennifer is a distinguished consultant, speaker, chef, and strategist with an expertise on all things sustainable aquaculture. And she has a strong relationship with the sustainable food community, creating relationships between the aquaculture community and with NGOs such as the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch Program. She's authored the best-selling Kitchen Coach Cookbook Series, Come See Sparks Fly, and Sea Change Cookbooks. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. It is always a pleasure to have you with us. And I, I have to say, I love following you on Twitter because I just get a little snippet or something new every day um, that I learn that uh, thanks to you. Well, it is. And and to have your commitment and St. Supri's commitment to this important topic, especially as we align where Meroir meets terroir, as we've talked about, I think is just such an honor. So thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much. So let's let's talk a little bit about how you got involved in sustainable seafood and aquaculture. I mean, like all of our careers, it's a winding road, but I was on a cookbook tour and I got a call from my agent and they said, we're going to bring to market the most sustainable salmon in the world. And we think that this is going to change the narrative around how people think about farmed fish. And this was 15 years ago, actually probably more than that now. And that's really where it all kicked off. I said, I I found the fish that I loved. I, I've fallen in love with two fishes in my life. One was the trout that my grandfather used to catch on a creek off of his ranch in Colorado. And the second one was that salmon that really taught me what the future of food could look like around farmed fish. Well, farmed fish is a wonderful topic to talk about because 15 years ago, there was a very different perception of farmed fish. It was not considered to be a great option for the environment or to be as healthy as we know it is today. Do you want to talk a little bit about that myth? You know, it's 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 very interesting. Almost we should lift it up for just a second to give people some context. I mean, we're, what we're really talking about is our blue foods, all of the different foods that come from fresh waterways and ocean marine based waterways that are contributing to our food system. And, you know, in a food system that's stressed and has become much more depleted than we'd like to admit, the oceans are fished to capacity, either 90 percent to or over capacity. We're really in um, in a in a jam regarding our fish and seafood. And there are island nations and other places that really rely on wild stocks. And I'm not really sure when we think about three billion people on the planet relying on some sort of blue food as their only source of food, how we got to a point where we have this consumptive entitlement with ocean resources. So if you think about it, we farm everything else at scale in our food system. For better or for worse, we farm our lettuce greens, we farm our grapes for wine, we farm everything. But for some reason, people will go into a restaurant, they'll sit down and they will look at the fish and seafood. And if they're making that choice, they'll ask, is it farmed or is it wild? 
And we've been farming fish for thousands of years. There are responsible ways to farm fish, just like you can farm chicken well and you can farm chicken badly. And I think that's the exciting thing. We're already eating more farmed fish in the United States than we eat wild, but there's a responsible, ethical way to source that. And that really deserves a seat at the future of foods table. Absolutely. Those very good points. Thank you for um, providing the, the scope of what we're dealing with as well. I do think that um, one of the, the things for me about um, making that decision in the restaurant and is also having some education from your server. Where is this seafood farmed? How is it farmed? And providing that information and the resources to the, the individual for that. I think the more that our consumer knows, um, the more they're going to embrace the seafood program. And, I, and that's why I love the Monterey Bay Seafood Watch Guide, especially being able to have that as an app and to um, share that with your customers. I think it's interesting. The wine industry has really taught us so much about how to speak about provenance. And that is what we would encourage everyone to do. Train your back of the house staff, train your front of the house staff on where your fish and seafood comes from. You know, those boxes come in, they're well-marked. You'll know the country, the species, the more engaged you get with it and can share that with the guest, the more they're interested and involved. So I look at it in, as something that really is in parallel. There are great examples um, from the wine industry about how we can increase sustainable, responsible consumption of, of fish and seafood, add more onto our menus, and, and yet at the same time be educating the guests without, a, without them feeling like they're being educated. Yeah. And I also think, you know, an important factor around that is tracing of that seafood. So many of the most reputable farms provide you the ability to trace that fish all the way back. And I think that's an important factor in authenticity, just like we do with wine. We're providing the ability to trace each bottle back to the winery and ensure it's authentic. Why not do that with our seafood? It's a, it's a, it is a complicated business, right? I mean, it there, if you think about it, you know, know, there might at any given time be 40 or 50 different types of fish and seafood to choose from, from a purveyor. And it's not as easy as saying, I'm going to, I'm going to support, you know, Petaluma Farms, natural chicken or, or a grass fed beef. Those, those supply chains are very clear, but, but there are things that everyone can do, whether it's a wild capture fishery. If you're someone that wants to put on the menu, a yellowfin tuna, tuna seems to be that one that stands out. You know, what are the options that we can do? to give that fishery a break. Maybe we don't need to rely on one particular species, but we can give the mouthfeel and the taste to the guest that will give them that same satisfaction, but educate them maybe about a different species. And, and for example, we have this phenomenal farm that's off the coast of Hawaii called Blue Ocean Mariculture. They yes. farm a stunning kampachi. And that kampachi is so good in things like ceviches and pokes and things like that. So Making that little shift and then being able to say to the guests, you know, we just felt like at this time that yellowfin tuna fishery off the coast of Indonesia needs a break and everyone has to start somewhere. It's like people I get questions all the time about bluefin tuna. And, you know, we're talking about Emma, we're talking about wild capture fisheries with species that we don't farm traditionally. And, you know, those 
those bluefin tuna, they just need a break. They're a keystone species. We need them to stay in the water longer. They don't reproduce until they're 12 years old. We're capturing them too early, too young, and the stocks are reflecting that. So why not put have something as an alternative so that you have an op- opportunity to educate the guest? And I find most of the time when you give that reasoning, you know, we wanted to leave more fish in that fishery for the local people of Indonesia, because that's their only source of food. And we'll find another thing to eat on our menus. Most people are pretty compassionate about that. When you tell the human story behind why their favorite calamari isn't on the menu. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. And, you know, one of the, the other things that you mentioned earlier was how we, we all seem to be so tuned in to how we farm on land and doing it sustainably and holding everyone accountable, but we don't do that in the ocean. We aren't paying attention. And I wonder if it's just because we're not seeing below the ocean. We see the blue water on top, but we're not seeing what's happening beneath the the waves essentially. I, I think that's probably if you speaking, you know, to Julie Packard, of course, her parents helped fund the Monterey Bay Aquarium where Seafood Watch is based. They would all say yes. I mean, if you're in the middle of the country, you probably don't feel like you have that relationship with the ocean and it feels very distant from you. But the good news is a lot of the conversations, Emma, that are happening right now about how important our oceans are in carbon sequestration, in climate change, in weather patterns, People are beginning to become more aware. So it's not just related to your fish and seafood choice, but that choice you make on the plate is this great starting point to being able to become contributors, meaning that you're really taking your dollars and putting them towards something that is in contribution to the things you care about. And you might it might be supporting a phenomenal winery that's doing the right work on land. It might be supporting the right water farmer who's doing the right work on the water, Eat oysters. You know, you and I, what a perfect pairing to be able to have your Sauvignon Blanc with oysters and oysters filter water. Not only are they the majority of them farmed, but they filter 52% of the water that goes through them. So they're contributing to healthier oceans and coastal communities. So it's just, you can, you can find a way through what you eat to contribute when we're all so worried about something that feels like impending doom. You know, I think that the other thing that, um, you know, we think about is sustainable farming on the land and in the ocean. But, you know, we've started talking about in the vineyard now, um, you know, organic farming and regenerative farming and moving to a regenerative model. And I think that's really happening in the ocean as well. When we look at seafood um, farming, where we're taking villages that have been overfished, there's not work for the community and we're bringing in a sustainable um, fishery to farm the the fish and we're bringing in kelp farming and um, forests and we're actually restoring um, the oceans. We're restoring with our oyster farming, our mussel farming, um, and we're um, providing that regenerative aquaculture um, in the same fashion that we're looking to, you know, achieve here in our in our vineyards is that regenerative um, farming methodology. 
And I think that particularly in seafood farming, it's very interesting to me. And I, I know you are um, very involved in uh, using seaweed in a lot of different um, methods. Do you want to talk about the seaweed farming? Because it's fascinating to me. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's an interesting thing that you talk about. I think, you know, sustainability, sustaining ourselves is not enough. Right. I mean, we know now that we can't just sustain when we've taken so much away from the planet. So this idea of being regenerative where we are working and we're contributing back is really important. In aquaculture, those are through what we call multitropic systems, where we might be farming a fin fish, but alongside of it, we're also farming those bivalves like the oysters and the mussels and seaweed, because we know that the bivalves and the mussels, they and seaweed and kelp, they have zero inputs. You don't actually have to feed them or anything else. You just put those little seeds on a thread and put them in and they start to grow in, in, in our ocean waters. So you have something that has zero inputs, but that can be enormously helpful both to the ecosystem because they lower nitrogen levels, acidification levels, and the ecosystems that live in those kelp farms are helping to regenerate the fish populations and everything that's surrounding it. So you've got this incredible opportunity. And then not only that, but guess what else? Seaweed and kelp absorb more carbon than yeah. a tree on land if you leave it in the ocean. So maybe you you grow some and then and you pick some to be eaten and you leave some, right? That give one, get one kind of con concept. But not only that, seaweed and kelps are a multivitamin from the sea. They can be used for all kinds of things. We think of mushrooms, adding umami, you know, all of those promises of what fungi can do for us is the same as seaweed and kelp. So for chefs out there, it could be something as easy as putting a, an Alaskan bull kelp pureed into your pesto or into your spaghetti sauce and your arrabbiata, and you'll end up with something that has more umami and the guests will never know it's there, but they're getting more vitamins, more minerals, more nutrients. And oh, by the way, you're helping create not only healthy ecosystems in the ocean, but probably a female farmer that is doing the hard work on the water because the majority of seaweed and kelp farmers are women. Yeah, so you also are supporting, you know, these badass women farmers. I have a friend, Andrew Zimmerman, who's a very famous chef. He works a lot with Jose Andres. He's an ambassador to the UN Food Forum, millions of followers on social media. And on stage at South by Southwest, we launched our Fed by Blue campaign and, an, and a companion docu-series that we're going to do with um, David E. Kelly, another pretty famous producer. And he committed on stage to all of the cooking that he does, 25% being kelp or seaweed. And I mean, wow. it doesn't matter if it's brownies. It doesn't matter if, because again, there are just these incredible elements of umami and chocolate and things that can come from seaweed and kelp. You and I talked a little bit about packaging. There's there's opportunities in packaging. There's opportunities even potentially in fuel, you know, as fuel supplements. And then the other big one is that we're finding that when 
land animals eat a certain portion of their feed is kelp and seaweed, it actually lowers the methane rates that they emit. Um, and so that um, actually can is really probably the most important thing about seaweed. We can gain so much in just lowering methane mitigation through our animal rearing that um, that, that one is probably the biggest impact even compared to eating seaweed. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And, you know, I love that your point about, you know, here we are growing mussels, oysters, kelp, farming um, fish all together. And it just reminds me kind of a lot about what we think um, in the vineyard as well is we want that biodiversity. The more we enhance that biodiversity, the less inputs we need, the less um, we are having to address issues because the system lives in balance. And that's really a lot of what's happened um, in the ocean is we've lost sections of it and then um, things are out of balance. And if we can restore that balance by planting more kelp, leaving some, taking some, um, and also help with the deacidification of the ocean, then we can bring back locations for those fish to, to live and um, restore the, the local population. So it's really quite exciting. Exciting, um, the similarity. Now, you know, one of the, the other things in, um, in wine, of course, we talk about different uh, varietals, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, et cetera, but we also have um, different clones. And I understand in, in seaweed, we, we have the same thing where they're providing um, different flavors, different nutrients. Um, what are you seeing as the trends for fine dining in unique seafoods? You know, it's, 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 it, it's, it is interesting. I mean, we are starting to see some chefs explore some of these blue foods in a way where they haven't been used before. Our dinner at South by Southwest, what we did was we had five James Beard award-winning chefs that, that are renowned for their um, foods. And we had them incorporate blue foods onto the menu. So imagine this, there's um, a chef that was one of the top smart cat chefs of the year by the James Beard Foundation that follows Seafood Watch to a certain extent and it rewards chefs for engaging in their sourcing. Rick Lopez from La Condesa did a grilled mussel that had a sea lettuce verde as the sauce. And the sea lettuce came from Mike Graham's Monterey Bay Seaweed Company. So extraordinary. Um, a very famous, he calls him, he's at at Doe Puncher, which I love, at Doe Puncher, which is David Norman, Chef David Norman from Easy Tiger Bakery, famous renowned baker, did a dashi bread and a kelp butter where he folded the kelp into the butter. It was absolutely stunning. And the kelp was Blue Evolution's bull kelp from Alaska. So extraordinary. Um, we had another chef that did a, it was so beautiful, um, Chef uh, Tavel Bristol Joseph, famous for his cheesecake, this Basque cheesecake. And he did a sea grape sauce with caramelized sea grapes on the plate. And, and these are all things you can see at, at, at Fed by Blue or at my, um, at my uh, Jennifer Bushman, Jennifer under, Jen underscore Bushman. But the point is, is that the chefs are getting really super creative about how to incorporate these foods. And it's really exciting to see and, and see the guests reaction to some of these things being folded in. 
Absolutely. And as a guest, I think it's, it gives you something interesting, a reason to go back, a reason to feel good about your meal. And you learn something new. I think so much of what um, guests are looking for today is a different and new experience, something to share with other people. And here's, you know, different, new and delicious foods that are great for the environment and, and being thoughtful about the environment. And that's super important to our guests today. And important to have them coming back. Yeah, exactly. And I also think it's important for everyone to understand the power that they have in their voice, because one of the big issues that we're having right now in the United States is that coastal landowners don't want to see these farms in their backyard. And I've, I'm of the feeling that, you know, 20 years from now, when they're begging for clean water and food, they're going to be wanting that oyster farmer there. But in places like Washington, the state of Washington, 927 licenses to farm oysters and mussels and things was denied by a judge because of a false narrative that an NGO got from these coastal landowners. So you being active in policy and advocacy to say, we're going to fight for these concessions, one of those licenses that was lost was 137 years old. Can you imagine? We lost a 137-year-old oyster farm off of the coast of Washington because of a, a false narrative and a judge that didn't have good information. So we all have to get involved. We have a role to play. Yeah, that sounds like um, we need an appeal there yeah. um, because, yes. you know, we, we've heard a lot of false narratives lately. And um, I I hope that our legal system um, can can come through and, and win on on those things. And there's, you know, and that's the other thing too, the state of California and being able to have some of these um, foods that are, that are actually grown off our coastlines. And California has some of the tightest regulations. Um, Hog Island Oyster, who I think you probably know, John Finger and his group, finally after 10 years, just got a, a new um, oyster concession. So it's, um, you know, we're lucky they're there fighting the fight, but we know the power of the food and beverage community and we can move mountains when we want to. And I think that looking at these farmers and trying to help them to stay in business as they are contributing in such hard work on the water, as you know, the hard work on land, we all have to have a voice that we have to lend to this. Yeah, and I, I have to say the oyster farms really um, are not impacting your view. They're improving the environment. Um, I, I have a hard time understanding how you can argue against that. It's not like having an oil rig in your backyard. Absolutely. Quite the opposite. It is. I mean, it's an important point to make. In the Gulf of Mexico, there are over 600 licenses that have been granted to drill for oil. And yet there have only been a handful of licenses granted for us to farm in those waters for. So you think about I always think about like what the value is. Right. Eventually, the food system will have greater value than than fossil fuels. But it is very interesting to look at it from a policy narrative and say, you know, these are things that we have to express that are important. There's a there's a law that's up right now in front of Congress called the Aqua Act. It talks about being able to have more aquaculture in federal waters. We all 
don't think that is a bill that is where it needs to be yet. It doesn't have the sustainability standards, Emma, that you or I expect. But the Environmental Defense Fund has gotten involved and they have a new bill they're going to bring to say, look, we think aquaculture is important. It's going to be important to create the the, the food that we need in the United States because we have a seafood deficit right now. We import more than 70 percent of our fish and seafood. So we need to farm more in U.S. waters, but we need to do it right. Absolutely. We definitely um, need to do it right. And I think um, we can. We have the ability to. And, um, you know, I know you work with a lot of different um, purveyors and growers and um, farms. Any um, particular uh, brands or uh, varieties of uh, fish and seafood and um, blue food that you um, feel strongly about as really being some of your top A choices? I mean, I first and foremost, you know, there are places you can go. Place-based sustainability is a good thing. If you know the fisher and they're going out into the water in Monterey Bay and they're grabbing whatever their allowable catch is and you trust them, that's a good place to start. Ask where your fish and seafood comes from. It's so easy, like you said, to use the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watches website and type in the species and country of origin and know if you're sourcing it sustainably. And then there are best in class farmers that now are branded. Like you can walk in to places like Whole Foods and get Pacifico striped bass, which is a beautiful farm off of the coast of Isla Todos Santos in Ensenada and exists specifically because we love to eat striped bass and the stocks are depleted and they are contributing a stunning fish. There are um, farms like Quarry Arctic, which is a third generation family farmer out of the Arctic Circle that farms as beautiful salmon that's available on everything from Amazon, where you can get their hot dogs made from salmon and the burgers all the way to the fillets. I mean, and a hot dog that tastes like a hot dog with your yeah. weekly allowance of omega-3s and is rated the top by all of the big um, NGOs. So it's just being active, you know, use use Seafood Watch because it's really our only metric right now. W um, watch for these programs like Fed by Blue because we're going to, we're constantly in the fight to bring you this information and, um, and just plain eat more blue foods. Because when you do, you're going to be supporting, the odds are you're going to be supporting farmers that are really doing the right work on the water. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other things we talked about how um, people, you know, kind of have a misconception about um, the quality of farm seafood. And also, I, I think that kind of comes true for bivalves and how um, there's this belief that perhaps uh, they're unsafe because they could be unsafe. And, and one of the things that I see with the reputable farmers who are farming um, great oysters, mussels, et cetera, you know, they're putting them through um, the tanks from that same water, but that's gone through a UV light and been sterilized and letting them filter everything through. So you're seeing a much higher quality of food safety occurring with um, a lot of the seafood than you would get um, from seafood just harvested in the wild. Oh my gosh, it's such an important point. So for everyone out there, understand now, I mean, the oceans, we really have taxed our waterways to such a high level, 
whether it's PCBs, dioxins, toxins, the radiation is a bit of a misnomer. We don't see radiation from, you know, the issues in Japan coming into our seafood, not, not really worldwide, but things like, so Quarry Arctic is an example. They actually have a little bit of fish trim that's in the diet and they take that trim, which is from the cuttings that are for non-human consumption. So non-human consumption, when they're processing fish, they'll use that little bit to go in their feed, but they clean it first. They take out the dioxins, the PCBs, the toxins. No one in the world at this point is doing that where they're cleaning a feed component before they feed it to their fish. And salmon are carnivorous fish. Your Alaskan wild salmon is eating all of these um, feeder fish that have all of these issues. And it's one of the reasons why the orcas, I don't know if you've been reading about this, but the baby orca whales are dying because what's happening is those toxins are being passed on from the mother, from those feeder fish through her milk to the, to the baby orcas. So, so we're in the farming industry. What they're doing is they're figuring out better and better and cleaner ways to do it. And whether that's farming on land, enclosed recirculating systems. Um, David E. Kelly is the largest producer of trout in the world. Not only does he write Big Little Lies and The Undoing and, and Ally McBeal and Boston Legal, but he loves salmon so much. And as a fisherman saw the stocks being depleted, that he became the largest trout farmer in the United States with his river and trout. And that trout is delicious and it's on land in Idaho in these raceways that are hundreds of years old. So it's a it's an exciting time because we get to look at really creating the food system that we want out of farmed fish and seafood and all the technology and the, the nutritive data. All of these things are being applied to that now. And thinking about farmed as being bad is really looking in the rearview mirror. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I love all of your um, information as always. You're so enlightening, Jennifer. What should I have asked you that I haven't asked you today? Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm probably would be repeating myself. I think it's learn the phrase blue food. This is something that um, there's a, a huge amount of effort with scientists worldwide, including a group called the Blue Food Assessment that sits at Stanford and at the University of Stockholm. Hundreds of scientists that are putting the data behind what it is and how contributed is, contributive it is. So think blue foods. It's not blueberries any longer. It's all of those fantastic foods that come from our waterways, come from fresh and, and um, our marine-based waterways that really are one-fifth the carbon footprint. I mean, the impact is enormously low as compared to our other foods. Plant-based and um, and plant-based and cell-based foods will not get us all the way there. Our oceans and waterways will be contributing blue foods. And it really is a place, as I say, where there's hope and hope is in the water. Yes, absolutely. That's a, a great point. And thank you so much for all of your insights today. And um, we'll be looking for the uh, blue food that is restoring our oceans, that's uh, providing restoration and also fantastic, wonderful, delicious uh, things on our plate. So thank you for joining us, Jennifer. It was a pleasure to be with you. It's always such a pleasure to be here. And I can't wait till we can sit and enjoy those dinners together with some good wine. Oh, yes. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs>